Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, just We're going to be in Colossians 4 today. And uh, if you have a, a physical copy or a digital, go there. But as you're going to Colossians 4, I just want to say a couple of words. Uh, just for me, this is coming full circle. Uh, back in 2008, uh, I moved here from Memphis, Tennessee, where I'm from. You can probably hear I'm not from around here, but um, started a church over in Marysville, next county over, uh, called Living Hope. And uh, that was a, a, a huge momentous uh, moment for our, our family. And um, uh, my church in Memphis that I was on staff and a part of helped sponsor and be a part of starting a new church in Delaware County called LifePoint back in 2004. Uh, so I've seen this thing since almost the very early days. I can remember in 2008, 14 years ago, when I moved here with my wife and our two-year-old, uh, speaking in the original Delaware campus of LifePoint. Anybody here uh, back in those days, back in 2008, you remember that small little church? Uh, Dean asked me to teach, and he said, hey, be careful. Don't jump because you'll hit your head on the ceiling, you know? So I remember those days, that little campus, and, and now to be back here and see this campus. Uh, wow, this is a beautiful campus, and uh, great to see so many faces. Um, God is blessing you. Uh, Dean has uh, been a friend of mine for 15 years, and uh, I count him as not just a friend, but as a mentor and a coach in many ways, and God has blessed you with him as you're a leader in, on many levels. But I tell you what, God has tremendously blessed you uh, with the pastor here at Delaware with Kale Boer. Kale is a friend. Y'all just give thanks to Kale Boer. He's one of our greatest leaders we have in the state. And um, so I know we've been praying for him and his family in, the, in recent days. Uh, and when he called and said, could I do this? And I said, of course, because I, I, my, my job is to serve pastors. And uh, as a former pastor and church planter, uh, now in this role, uh, serving 700 churches in Ohio, my job is to serve those pastors. I serve the Lord through serving our leaders. And uh, so it's just a, a joy for me on many levels to be here and to see you and see God's activity at work here at our, our Delaware campus. When I'm not out teaching at churches across our state on Sunday mornings, my family and I, we attend the Lewis Center campus. I have three kids, uh, Caden 17, Abby's 13 and Jackson soon to be nine. I have my kids like my degrees, four years apart, all right? So uh, we hang out there uh, when I'm not out teaching somewhere, but uh, kind of like coming home for me, uh, almost a Union County, not quite yet, but uh, it's good to be here with you today. Uh, second thing is I just want to say thank you. Uh, on behalf of our network, uh, because of your generosity, your faithfulness to prayer, and who you are and what you do, you help us send missionaries all around the world. Uh, you help us start new churches in North America and also Ohio. You help us put disaster relief teams on the ground when tragedies uh, strike in our state and across the country. We're able to deploy people to go help meet needs and share the gospel. Uh, and because of your generosity and who you are, uh, you help us and our network reach the world for Christ, starting with our state and uh, going to the ends of the earth. And I just want to say thank you. That was on the heart of the Apostle Paul. And every letter he wrote, he began by saying the words, thank you. And I just want to come and say thank you, because we could not do what we do without you. Um, just to give you a quick update, uh, last year in our state, we started 19 churches, which is an incredible thing. But I want to give you a quick update. Uh, we're six months into this year, and we've already started 21 new churches halfway through this year. So... 
That's because of churches like you. That's because of your prayer. That's because of your willingness to train and multiply and also your generosity. So I just want to say those two words before we dive into Colossians 4. I know as a family, we've been walking through the book of Luke. We've been reading Luke. We've been praying through Luke. And we've also, we're going to be talking about sharing uh, coming up in the days ahead. And so today, I just want to talk about the power of one. The power of sharing with one person. Um, You know, we don't really value the number one in today's economy, do we? I remember when I was a teenager, I'm not a teenager anymore, and I wake up every morning realizing that, that I'm not 17. But when I was a teenager, I I, I loved, uh, you know, things in my wallet that had zeros on the end. I didn't really like dollar bills. I wanted tens and twenties and fifties. Never saw a hundred, but I liked hundred dollar bills. I liked those things, but I didn't really value a dollar bill when I was a teenager in my twenties. Now that I've got three kids, I value anything in my wallet. Amen. Like if I've woken up and there's anything in there, I love seeing anything there. There was a chip company many years ago that said, I bet you can't eat just one. And we've been eating them ever since, haven't we? All right. Uh, I was raised as primarily by my grandparents as a boy growing up in Memphis. My grandmother, she's 97 years young. She's still, she's like a Timex. She takes a licking and keeps on ticking. She just goes and goes and goes. She's uh, survived lymphoma. She's beat COVID. And um, you know, it's weird when you get a Facebook request from your grandmother, you know, it's just a little different. Um, But my grandma is 97 years, um, my grandfather's already in heaven and uh, she says, she'll call me sometimes and she'll just say, Jeremy, I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to go see your grandfather and go see the Lord. But she's still here and um, she just loves Jesus. But when she was in her 60s, you know, many years ago, she took me as a little boy and she would take me to take her medicine every day. And she'd put me in the car and she would go through the drive through of this little restaurant. Up here, we call them White Castles. But down south, you call them Crystal Hamburgers. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, Pastor Jeremy, I just want a feeling. And I say, well, if you want a feeling, go to White Castle at about two o'clock in the morning, you're going to get a feeling, all right? <laughs> but my grandmother loved Crystal Hamburgers and she would uh, go through the drive through and we'd spend 20 minutes in Jesus' name of my life to go through and she'd go to the, the, the drive through and she'd order one for 49 cents. And I thought, Grandma, why did you spend half an hour of our life to go just get one hamburger? She said, well, that's all I wanted. And I said, well, well, I'm in the car. At least get one for me. You know what I mean? That's got to be somewhat sinful. But she loved, she just loved having, having one. And here in Colossians 4, what Paul is saying is he was really talking about the power and the value of one. See, really what Paul is saying here is if Jesus is enough for me, he's enough for everybody around me. The reality is, church, that people are looking for hope and answers everywhere we go and every turn that we make. Six months ago on New Year's Eve, I don't know what you were doing on New Year's Eve, that's when you and the Lord, but I know that what people were doing on Google is they were searching phrases on New Year's Eve. Do you know the top three phrases on Google around the world? Number one was, you probably guessed it, how to get healthy. Number two, how to get organized, people are tired of clutter. And number three, the most searched phrase on Google around the world was this, how to get the most out of life. And see, the reality is people are looking for hope, aren't they? They're looking for answers. They're looking for for meaning and purpose. 
And what Paul is going to say here in Colossians chapter 4, he's going to say, beginning in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door for us to the word, for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains, so that I may make it known as I should, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And see, the reality is we're going to really understand the power and the value of one. There's going to be a few things we're going to have to do. Number one, we're going to have to be prayerful. We're going to have to pray continuously. See, what Paul says here in verse two, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And see, the reality is in this day of iPhones and iPads and podcasts and Spotify is we have podcasts on prayer, we read books on prayer, we go to conferences on prayer, but you know what we still struggle to do? We pray. We still struggle to actually pray. My friend Vance Pittman said, we don't pray before we work, prayer is the work, and then God works. We got to always be prayerful. For he says in Romans chapter 10, he said, brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Paul never got over being saved. And because of that, he was always praying to the Lord. And he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to create a slick social media campaign, a slick marketing idea or angle or a new schematic. What Paul said, the secret is really, there is no secret. It comes down to prayer. So Paul says, be prayerful, pray continuously. Paul begins his letter here in Colossians saying, pray, he's praying for them. And now he ends saying, pray for me. Can I ask you a question? Who are you praying for today? And who are you asking to pray for you? See, prayer brings in humility, doesn't it? It says that we don't have the answers, that we can't make our way through this life on our own. We are dependent upon the Father. And we need to be prayerful and we need to always be praying. See, if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Christ, if we're going to reach our neighbors and our coworkers and our, our friends on campus, we've got to start praying for them. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of hard to uh, gossip about somebody you're praying for say, well, I don't really know if I like my neighbors. Well, they may not like you. You know what I mean? Like you just, you never know. Pray for people around you. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your coworkers. It's amazing how prayer actually changes our heart. So he says, be prayerful, pray continuously. Devote ourselves to prayer. So actually, I see some of our worship leaders on stage this morning wearing Nikes, right? So I know we're Nike fans in the house. What's the phrase for Nikes? Just do it. Do you know that I think that actually Nike owes the church some money, right? Because little Greek lesson here in verse two, when it says to devote yourselves, it's actually in the original language in the Greek New Testament. It's almost like exactly like Nike reads when it says prayer, just do it, right? So I think Nike owes us some money. How about that? So just do it. That's exactly what Paul says here. Hey, talk about it, think about it, but do it. You know, I got three kids. I don't, I don't tell my three kids, hey, go upstairs and clean your room. And then they come back down half an hour later and say, hey, dad, uh, we got together and we talked about what it would look like to actually clean our room. Hey, dad, we listened to a podcast about really what it's like to clean our room. Hey, dad, we did a study of like what it means to clean our room. 
I'm like, listen, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to give you a study on discipline really fast. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we talk about so many things, but then we just don't do it. And if you're going to reach people around you, you got to have a heart for them first. And you know how you have a heart for them? You start praying for them. You start praying for them. That's what Paul said. Pray, just do it. Just pray. Daniel Henderson said, prayer must be our first resolve and not our last resort if our work is to be marked by the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit. Pew Research a few years ago did a research on uh, people who say they're Christians in America about how often they actually pray. 55% said they actually pray daily. 16% said they pray weekly. 6% said they pray once a month. And 23% of Americans who claim to be Christians said they really don't pray at all. We have to pray. And by the way, this is free on the July 4th holiday weekend. Uh, women are more likely to pray than men, 60 to 40%. So my tip for everybody in the house, if you got a prayer request, it's going to get prayed for a lot faster if you take it to a lady. All right? So just a heads up. All right? That's, that's free. Prayer precedes proclamation. So if we're going to reach our one person, if we're going to start seeing people the way that God sees them, we're going to have to start praying for them. It's amazing when you ask God for his, his eyes and his hands and his heart, how you see your context and your situations and your life differently. And you don't see everything as an obstacle, you see it as an opportunity. You don't see everyone around you as an annoyance, but an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And that starts with prayer. So be prayerful. Uh, number two, be mindful. Act wisely. Pay attention to your surroundings. Uh, these are called the principles of receptivity. Every time there's uh, people experience major change, positive or negative, they develop a hunger for stability. So there's times of transition. Uh, new baby, new job, moving to a new school, new community. Everybody's all jacked up and excited. There's a lot of the good things happening. But deep down, there's instability in the home. All right, first day of school, first day on the new job. What do I do with this thing we brought home from the hospital? You know what I mean? There's, there's all this exciting stuff around us, but there's still instability. People are looking for answers and hope through those times of, of transition. And there's times of tension. Um, when the employer you've been working for for 20 years faithfully walks in and says, we're downsizing. Or a spouse for 30 years of marriage walks in and says, I'm out, I'm done, I don't love you anymore. Or a child says, you know what, I don't really believe the way you believe in, and I'm going to go my own path. Or you go to a doctor and they tell you the news that are hard to hear. There's times of transition and there's times of, of tension. And people start looking for hope, they start looking for answers. And so you have to have your spiritual antennas up, thinking about the power and the value of, of one. That's why Paul says here in verse 5, he says very clearly, he says, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Where's Paul at, church? He's not at Clearwater Beach, right? He's not, he's not at the Ritz. He's not, he's not at a hotel. He's in prison. And you don't see Paul whining here. You don't see Paul complaining here. He says, hey, God actually brought me into this place so that he may open a door to us for the word. There's no crying, right? There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in prison. There's no crying. He's, he's not whining. He's not upset. You know, nobody likes Eeyore. 
You know, nobody's got stuffed animals of Eeyore in their room, right? It's just nobody likes that kind of person, you know? Here's Paul. Paul says, hey, I'm in prison. It's okay. There's a purpose. There's a purpose in our pain. C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone. It's how he speaks to us the loudest and the most intense. Paul says, hey, I'm in chains, but God's brought us for this reason, to speak the mystery of Christ. That's why I'm here, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. So you got to be mindful in times of transition, exciting mountaintop moments, people are still looking for hope and answers. In times of, of tension, valley moments, deep waters and trouble, people are looking for hope and answers. We're the church. We have the answers. We've said yes to Jesus. He has changed our life. And there's times of, of turbulence. People are looking for hope and for answers. Many years ago, I was traveling out west to preach at a conference, and as a church planner in Marysville, I was always flying back to Columbus from wherever I spoke, um, and as a pastor, uh, Pastor Kale knows this, Sunday comes every week, right? So you're always preparing, always getting ready for the next Sunday, and so as a good church planner in Columbus, I was a huge Buckeye fan. Any Buckeye fans in the house? All right, there we go. And uh, so, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I had, um, I had the Ohio State shirt. I had the Ohio State running pants. I had the scarlet and gray Nike shoes. You know what I mean? Like it was over the top. And so uh, when in Columbus, there you go. So I was, uh, I was done speaking at this conference out in Denver, flying back to Columbus, and uh, had not finished my message on Sunday morning. And so I had my Bible open, and I'm getting on the plane on Delta, and the pilot says, hey, this is going to be a rough flight. We have to go through Denver. I hate going through, or, I'm sorry, Chicago. We have to go through Chicago to get to Columbus. The Windy City, I, I just don't, good popcorn, hate flying through it, all right? Um, and so the pilot says, sit down, buckle up, no food no service, no drinks. We're going to try to get you to Columbus safe. Well, that's reassuring, you know? So I uh, get on the plane and I sit down and, uh, and the lady, a lady turns around to me and she says, excuse me, son, are you a coach for Ohio State? And I said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. I'm just a church planner from Marysville. And she said, oh, I thought you were somebody important. And then she kind of turned around and so, hey, humble pie, six, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, that's great, you know? So uh, an hour later, I'm working on my message for Sunday, and uh, there's turbulence, and then there's turbulence, right? When you start dropping one, 2,000 feet, pretty, that, that, you feel that pretty quick. When stewardess start go flying down the aisle, you start feeling that turbulence, right? All of a sudden, iPads closed, hands were folding, TVs were turning off in front, and everybody got really spiritual really, really fast, right? That lady turned around to me, and she said, excuse me, son, did you say you were a pastor? I said, yes, ma'am, the one that's not important. That's me, that's right. And she said, well, are you praying? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm praying. And she said, well, I'm praying that God's not done with you on earth yet. <laughs> I said, well, my wife would pray that same prayer with you, ma'am. People are always looking for hope and answers in times of tension, transition, and turbulence. 
pay attention, church. Be aware in your surroundings. Uh, Paul and Silas, Acts 16, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. That's the original jailhouse rock, church. There it is. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And you know the story, they were going to escape. And many of us would say, oh man, God answered our prayer. But that's well, not what Paul said. Paul said, hey, you, the Bible says that, that that jailer, he was actually going to draw his sword and kill himself. Why? Because what was the penalty for losing a, soul, losing a prisoner on your watch? Death. Paul says, don't you do it. Don't you kill yourself. He says, you put that sword back in its sleeve. And so he says here in verse 28, don't you do it. The jailer called for all the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and says, what must I do to be saved? Sometimes people say, well, Jeremy, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah, but you can salt his oats. You can live in such a way that people want what you've got. That jailer said, wait a minute, why didn't you leave? What do you have that I don't? You see, Paul was more concerned about this man's eternal freedom than he was his own physical freedom. And the Bible says, if you read on the next few verses, his entire family believed and was baptized. That's what happens when you live outside of yourself. It's the secret of joy I learned as a five-year-old little boy. Jesus, others, you. Jesus always comes first, others come second, and you come last. You serve others, and you never look up for reward. And you realize the point and the mission of your life is to point others to him. Isn't that who we are as life point? Drawing life from God and pointing others to him? Always reflecting Christ and pointing others to Christ? My friend who's a pastor in Orlando, Florida, David Youth, he says, someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Life point, someone's waiting on the other side of your step of obedience to tell them the truth about Jesus. Does one really matter? Does reaching one person really make a difference, Jeremy? I think it does. Luke 15 says, In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's a party in heaven when one person believes. There's a massive after party. In church, we've been given the opportunity to pass out the invitation to that party. Number three, and I'll be done, be respectful, speak graciously. It's kind of hard to be a good witness for Jesus when you're a rude person. Smile, be nice, be kind. Past two and a half years in our culture in America, there's been a lot of unkind things done on social media. Sometimes people say that Christians are the only army that shoots their own soldiers. We gotta be kind toward one another and love one another. How can we love an outside world if we're not loving to one another inside? It's the kindness of God that reflects who we are. Romans chapter two, verse four says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
Robert Coleman, a great author, said really some old school books called Master Plan of Evangelism. He says, when will the church learn this lesson that preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christians do the job. Individual women and individual men are God's method. God's plan for evangelism and discipleship is not something, but someone. It's you, church family, it's you. You see, God does not choose and use the wisest and the wealthiest. He uses the most willing. John MacArthur said, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. And the powerful were in Rome. But yet he chose men so ordinary, it was almost comical. No rabbis, no teachers, and no religious experts. Just untrained, unlettered men who never got over Jesus and turned the world upside down. Dare to be an Andrew. Andrew was in the shadows in the New Testament. Andrew was the first of all disciples to be called in John chapter 1. He appears only nine times in the New Testament and often is introduced as the brother of Simon Peter. How would you like that? It's like, hey, here's Simon Peter and his afterthought brother, Andrew, right? That's how he's often introduced in the New Testament, but he didn't care. You see, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, and look what that did. He also brought the boy with his lunch, his fish and chips, to Jesus, and look what that did. He is known by many as the first home missionary to the Jews and the first foreign missionary to the Gentiles. Tradition says he went into northern Russia and ultimately into Scotland. Finally, he was crucified in Achaia near Athens, Greece. What was his crime, you ask? He led the Roman governor's wife to Christ and was crucified for it. Tradition tells us he was lashed to an X-shaped cross and hung upside down for nearly two days as he exhorted passerbys to turn to Christ. So we don't think about Andrew of being this great big hero in the Bible, but he brought Peter to Jesus and he brought that boy with fish and chips to Jesus and look what God did. I'll close with the story, The Power of One. You may have never heard of the name Edward Kimball in your life. Edward Kimball was determined to win his Sunday school class to Christ. He taught teenage boys. That alone says a lot right there, right? So they always fell asleep. I know nobody falls asleep in church here at Life Point, right? But those boys fell asleep every single Sunday. And he would go to those teenage boys on Sunday afternoons and share the gospel with them. So he'd go home, have lunch with his wife, and he went out to one of this, this uh, teenage boy in the late 1800s. He worked as a shoe clerk. He began to share the gospel with him. He said, my heart was pounding as I entered the store and where the young man actually worked. I put my hand on his shoulder, and as I leaned over, I put my foot upon a shoebox, and I asked him to come to Christ. Edward Kimball left that day thinking he had botched the job and messed everything up. But what he didn't know is that teenage boy that afternoon gave his life to Jesus and was never the same. 
He went on to become one of the most famous evangelists in American history. His name was D.L. Moody. And on June 17, 1873, D.L. Moody arrived in Liverpool, England for a series of crusades. And the meetings went very poorly at first, but then the dam burst open and blessings began to flow. And Moody visited a Baptist chapel pastored by a scholar named F.B. Meyer, who at first disdained the American's unlettered preaching. But Meyer was soon transfixed and transformed by Moody's message. You see, at Moody's invitation, F.B. Meyer came and toured America, and at the Northfield Bible Conference, he challenged the crowd, saying, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark changed the life of a struggling young pastor named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful evangelist in the early 1900s, and he recruited a major league baseball player named Billy Sunday. Under Chapman's eye, Billy Sunday became one of the most famous evangelists in America. His campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina produced a group of converts to Christ who continued praying for another visitation of the Holy Spirit. And in 1934, they invited another evangelist named Mordecai Ham to do a citywide crusade. On October the 8th, Ham discouraged went back to his Charlotte hotel room that night and wrote a prayer on the stationery of his hotel room. And he said, Lord, give us a Pentecost movement here and pour out your spirit tomorrow. His prayer was answered beyond his dreams when the very next night, during the invitation, a tall, lanky, skinny high school senior singing in the choir stepped out from the crowd, walked down in the invitation, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That teenage boy's name was Billy Graham. You see, you may not know who Edward Kimball is, but Edward Kimball valued one person, a teenage boy, and led him to Jesus. And D.L. Moody led Chapman, and Chapman reached Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday reached Mordecai Ham, and God used Mordecai Ham to reach Billy Graham. Life point, there's power in the number one. You, mean, you may know who Billy Graham is, but in the sovereign plan of God, there will be no Billy Graham if it wasn't for many decades ago the faithfulness of an Edward Kimball. One. It may not be much in this economy, in this culture and world, but I'll tell you in the kingdom of God, it is very valuable and very powerful. Yeah, let's read the Bible. And yeah, let's pray through the Bible. But let's share the Bible. And we reach the thousands by reaching the one. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, thank you so much for this moment, for this opportunity, for this church family. God, remind us. It's never just about us. Someone's waiting on the other side of our obedience. And yes, we must read. And yes, we must pray. But we must also share. Someone on our street, someone on our campus, someone near our cubicle at the office is going to go through times of tension, transition, 
and some turbulence. And they're going to be looking for hope. They're going to be looking for answers and stability. And Jesus, you are our rock. You are the one who walks in when everybody else has walked out. God, give us a heart for the power and the value of one soul. Lord, we sing to you now. And as we sing to you, restore, renew, refresh the joy inside of us of what it means to be a follower of you. And Lord, if today is a day when we realize that we're not a true follower, then I pray that we will not leave this campus without searching out someone to find out what it means to be a true follower of the one and then to tell others about you. So as we sing, we sing to you. Do a fresh work in our hearts. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name.